our understanding of the church, what it is and how it functions and what its purpose is, is crucial. It's a crucial part of living out our lives as Christians. When you were born again, you were born into the church. You were born into the kingdom of God. You were born into a spiritual family. You were made new. Christ transferred you. He conveyed you from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of marvelous light. You're now in a family of grace. And this is your new identity. This is who you are in Christ. It's all wrapped up in him. And this world and everything about it is fading. And the kingdom is arising in our hearts. Praise the Lord. And the church exists to bring glory to God. And we do this as we love and obey the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And as a person born into this new family, Jesus desires that each and every single one of us born into this family would mature spiritually along with our brothers and sisters, that we would be united and unified in Christ with all of our various giftings and all the roles and all the various ways in which he's made us who we are, that we would live to accomplish his will on earth. Until that day we see him face to face, as one body, as we love God and as we love one another. Amen? And so how do we get there? And the, and, and the thing is, is that we need to grow up. We need to grow up. And, and there's a place and a time for immaturity. When you're a new believer, you're immature. You don't understand the things of the Lord. And it's beautiful to watch. But God desires that we not just stay uh, new believers, that we actually become mature, full believers. And so, over the past several weeks, as we have been hunkering down in Ephesians 4.11, which speaks about the Lord Jesus gifting the church with gifted leaders, um, we find that in various ways, with various gifts, these gifted leaders build up and they equip the church for good works and service. In other words, that's, ha- that's one of the major ways in how the body of Christ is grown up. How we're grown up is that, is that God's kind of put spiritual parents in the body of Christ. Amen? Yeah, in your earthly families, you had parents who kind of directed you and molded you, and we, we know how that went, right? I mean, we've all got issues, and then you find out that you're a parent, and it's not so easy, is it? <clears throat> but as... We have a perfect heavenly father, by the way, and we have a perfect savior, and he's graced us with spiritual leaders within the church who hopefully are going to be humbly submitted to his will, who know his word, and who are going to invest in your lives and and build you up in the Lord. Amen? And so as these spiritual leaders equip the church with the word of God, people grow. It is not the spiritual leaders who cause the church to grow spiritually. Amen? We're responsible for simply watering. We're, suspen- we're, we're simply responsible for casting out the food, but it is always the Lord who gives the increase. Amen? It's the Lord Jesus Christ who gives the increase. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. So ultimately, all glory and honor for any growth that happens in your life spiritually 
is to be directed towards the one who saved you, the one who sustains you, and the one who brings you to uh, full fruition in your life, who matures you, and that is the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> so Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says that, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. And we've labored on this point. And we've gone into depth about who the apostles were and the prophets and evangelists. And last week we landed on the pastor teacher. If you missed those, you can go online and check those out. <clears throat> Thank you, John. Appreciate it. You know what the Lord says about cold water? And last week we ended on that role of a pastor teacher. And if you recall, the word pastor, it means shepherd. They're interchangeable. That's, that's what the word pastor means. It means shepherd, to shepherd the flock of God. And the church of God is summed up, I mean, the, to pastor or to shepherd the church of God, it's really summed up in, in John 21. You remember the story of Peter. Peter has denied Christ. He goes fishing. He's waiting in Galilee, and he sees Jesus on the shore. He jumps off the boat, runs, uh, swims to the shore, and Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And then Jesus is saying, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Right? <clears throat> and we know that that word feed there is the word for pastor. It's poimen or whatever it is in Greek. He says, if you love my sheep, you're going to pastor him. You're going to feed him. You're going to tend to him. And that's where we get that definition of what a pastor is. And this is where spiritual authority ultimately comes from. A pastor is a man called by Jesus to love and to tend a church by teaching and modeling the Word of God to them. I do not have any authority. You go, oh, the pastor. All the authority that I have is here. That's it. It's pointing to what he says in any matter or any situation. And so a godly pastor will be faithful to both live out and to give out the word of God to the church he tends. And as we finish our look at church leadership today, <clears throat> or try to, <laughs> and, and we shift our focus to elders, it's, it's interesting. Um, we're going to talk about elders. It's the interesting that the scriptures use two other terms in the New Testament for the office of pastor. So the word pastor is, there's two other terms used interchangeably with pastor. The first is bishop, which is episkopos in the Greek, which means overseer, guardian. And the second term is elder, which is presbyterios in the Greek, which means to be seasoned spiritually and, uh, and be spiritually mature. Um, and it speaks of those who lead the church. And you might have noticed those two Greek words, episkopos and presbyterios, and associated them with the episcopal and the Presbyterian church, right? Now you know where they get those names. And now that might give you an insight into what they were traditionally believed about how they were governed. One believed that it was supposed to be a pastor ruling the church, and the other believes that it's an elder who's supposed to be ruling the church. And if you're the sort of person who wonders about these things, you might be wondering which is right. And the answer is yes. <clears throat> because the word for pastor and elder in the New Testament described the same role within the church. 
That's hard to get over, huh? But that's basically what it means. It's spiritual authority within the church. This is clear as you look at the New Testament. In verses like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, and Titus chapter 1, 6-9, through 9, both describing qualifications for leaders. So Paul is sending Timothy and Titus to these places, and he's got to establish elders. He gives them guidelines about what to do, who are the spiritual leaders within those. And those two examples in those sections, they mirror each other. And one is speaking to... Um, the word is used as elders, and the other is speaking about bishops or pastors. And so... What's the, the same qualifications? They're speaking about the same position within a church. Spiritual authority. And it's really clear, for me at least, because I studied it, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 2, and, and all three of these terms that are, are out there, pastor, elder, and overseer, those are the three main terms, um, are all describing one office in the church. And let me read it for you. It says, to the elders among you. That word for elders is the word presbyterios. Um, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. What does he tell them? He says, be what? Be pastors. That's that word for pastor, shepherds, appointment. It's the same thing. He tells the elders to be pastors of God's flock that is under your care. And he tells them to watch over them. He tells them to be an overseer, to episcopo them, whatever that means. You know, not because you must, but because you are willing and God, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And so you see elders and pastors and overseers all describe the role of leaders within the church. Pastoral, eldership, leadership. That, that's it's, it's, they're all kind of munched together there. And so the Lord has anointed, has appointed that His church be governed by a group of men called elders who pastor and oversee and lead the local church that they have been called to. That's how God set up the leadership within the church. And again, the reason why I'm explaining this is not so that you know where the hammer is, is that you, so you know where the edification should be coming from and how to pray for it. Amen? And here at CCF, we are led by a board of elders who shepherd and oversee the flock here at CCF. And so although I am called your pastor, hey, Pastor Matt, you know all that stuff, in reality, I, I am one of four elders who shepherd and oversee and lead this fellowship of believers. And I have the privilege and honor of, being, of laboring in the Word. As, as the scriptures talk about those who labor in the word are to receive double honor. It's not because I said, hey, this is my great idea. The Lord compelled me to it, and here I am. And so as a part of this elder board, I have a position in a way that I serve. But it's important to be clear that as the pastor of CCF, I am not in charge. And by the way, ultimately, neither are the elders. Who's in charge? It's who's the head of the church? Jesus, amen. And to the degree that these men called by God submit to his word and submit to his authority and lay down their lives for you, I think it's to the degree that God often blesses the church. We can be a great blessing and a great hindrance to the work that God would have us have do through this church. And so, 
the church is to be governed by a plurality of men. I've been in, in, in backgrounds and situations, and I've changed my mind on this to where I have been, um, you know, a, you want to be the pastor and you call the shots because it's just easier that way. Kind of. <clears throat> because when things go wrong, guess who gets the blame? The elders. No, you get, you get the blame, right? It's easier to pass it out. And so, the, the, the church is governed, is to be governed biblically by a plurality of godly men. And whether you call them pastors or elders, I think is a matter of semantics in the scripture. And so, we call them elders here at CCF, but you could call them shepherds, which is the word for pastor, or you could call them bishops or overseers or righteous good reverends. No, don't go there. But, but you, do you understand how the words are interchangeable and it's often cultural as to why we say what we do? And so different cultures, you'll see that they'll call their pastors bishops or whatever it might be. And they are called, they, they all describe the leadership of the church. And so real quickly, what are the responsibilities of an elder within the local church? I'm just going to lay out a few here for you. First off, according to the scriptures, elders have been delegated authority by the Lord Jesus Christ to provide leadership and oversight over the local affairs of the church. They are the church government. They are the church leadership within the church. Plainly put, elders are in charge of ruling and directing the church. Now, I don't know how many of you like the word ruling, but that's the word in the Bible. And so, 1 Timothy 5.17, if you check out that verse, it says, The elders who direct the affairs, how many of your versions do you know this from memory? It says, who rule well right? It says the rule, same word. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching, teaching. The elders direct the affairs of the church. That's the point. I'm not talking about the other part, but they direct the affairs of the church. That word for direct does mean rule, and that means there is no authority in the local church that is higher than theirs. God does establish authority, and as a, as a people... Um, I don't know about you, but there's a tendency to rebel against authority because either, as I've said, they either abuse it or they neglect it. But nevertheless, God has still established authority. He's established it within the home, He's established it within the government, and He's established it within the church. That's the way He designed it. And so, the elders are responsible for ruling the sheep of God in a local congregation. Now, the writer of Hebrews speaks about this relationship with the sheep and the elders in Hebrews 13, 17, where he says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you, period. What does it say? As those who must give and what? An account. You see, you can see by that verse that eldership is a serious role within the church. It's not a role to be taken lightly because they will give an account to the chief shepherd as to how they ruled his sheep. And that's an important thing to remember for elders and for sheep is that the elders, there's one leaving right now. <clears throat> it's too much for him. He told me he'd be leaving. And that's important right now, <laughs> is that elder? <laughs> that's just too funny. You're not my sheep. 
indirectly, I'm an under-shepherd. You are His blood-bought sheep. You're His. And He takes you very, very seriously. He loves you with a passion that is unmatched. And in His wisdom, which I don't get, He's decided to put broken men in positions of leadership to lay down their lives as they're filled with the Holy Spirit so that you might be blessed and you might grow. It's a very high calling. And this is why James also warns us in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers. Elders are teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who judge, uh, for we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Hey, I thought it's all grace and fun and games now from now on. Question mark. We will be judged with greater strictness. There's always that tension in scriptures about what God has done for you and what you're responsible for. Amen? Jesus is serious when it comes to his flock, and this is why he appoints shepherds to govern them, to rule them well, as Hebrews 13 says, not lording it over them, amen, as we just read in 1 Peter 5, or we will read in 1 Peter 5, but being examples. So the shepherds aren't to lord it over as the Gentiles do, the word says. They aren't to be heavy-handed, <clears throat> but they're to sh- the main way that they teach is by example. And Frankly, um, you know, studying for this makes me want to quit. I'm not kidding. You look at it and you just go, Lord, you need to do a massive work in my life. I know you saved me, you brought me to where I am, but Lord God, whoa, it's heavy on all fronts. You know, I'm not saying, you know, sin stuff going on. I'm just saying, do I take it that seriously sometimes? Do I take you that seriously? Do I, do I lay down my life for my family, for my, for my church the way I should? Am I just a good teacher, as some say, you know? So not lording it over them, as we just read, right? Or we will read. But the primary way in which an elder rules the flock, how does it, what is the responsibility of an elder? It's they're to rule the flock. Well, how do they rule? Yes, by example, but the primary way in which an elder rules the flock is through their influence. It truly is. It's through their influence. And the scriptures make it clear that their influence should be totally rooted in the Word of God. The influence is their character. This is the primary responsibility of the elder. It's to feed the church, the Word of God, to to feed you spiritually, to teach you what it is to follow Christ. And how is it in the world that you're going to be taught if I myself am not submitted to that teaching? Amen? That's hypocrisy. So you see there's there's a high calling here. To fulfill the duty of an elder, you must be able to teach, 1 Timothy 3.2 says. Uh, Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're have to be a public speaker and, and stand up in front of people and, and all that type of stuff. There are other ways of teaching. It does, however, mean that an elder must firmly know the Scriptures and believe the Scriptures and be able to communicate the Word of God effectively. That is absolutely, you can't get around that in Scripture. As Paul says in Titus 1.9, 
He says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine. That's sound teaching. The word doctrine is teaching. And refute those who oppose it. And if you don't know the Bible, you're not able to teach it and you're not able to refute false doctrine. And that is the role of a shepherd. You've got to feed them and you've got to protect them. If you don't know how to do that, you can't. An elder is responsible for building up the body with the Word of God and also refuting those who are in opposition to the Word, both the saved and the lost. And so elders are really the gatekeepers of right teaching within the church. And so if someone wants to teach here at CCF or lead a study or introduce material or introduce a book or anything regarding spiritual instruction, it is the elder's responsibility to govern that. We're the gatekeepers. We have responsibility. And so if something starts up and someone say, hey, we're going to go do this, we hear about it, we're like, hey, these are our sheep. We're responsible for that. Run it by us. Amen? It's not, it's not heavy-handedness. What it is is responsibility before God. You've got to take it seriously because that's how false doctrine creeps in. That's how false teachers creep in. It happens. And so it is the elder's responsibility to govern that so that the church would be built up and protected. And we also entrust people to that, by the way. So, and this, this is what we're talking about here, is, is another responsibility of the elders is we are responsible to raise up and ordain church leadership. The elders lay hands on people and raise them up to the eldership. You see that over again with the apostles, with Matthias, and you see it in Acts 6. You see it um, in other places as well where the elders laid hand on the seven men. You see it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, where it talks about Timothy's experience that the elders laid hands on him and called him into the ministry. You see, it works through the authority within the church, the God-given authority within the church. And I love how Acts 6 works out for the deacon role, so to speak, is he says, choose from among you seven men. And as they chose from them the seven men, they gave them qualifications. We went over those a little week ago. And then they brought them to the elders, and the elders ratified it. So you can see how church kind of voting kind of plays, plays in there sometimes. But really, that's how it works, is, is the elders are the gatekeepers. If they see something that doesn't fit, they've got to go, nope. Amen? That's how it works. I didn't get a real hearty amen back at me there. <coughs> So the elders are responsible for overseeing and ordaining church leadership, making sure that leaders have the spiritual qualifications that the Scriptures say. Some of the responsibilities I've already mentioned real quickly. They're also responsible to set an example for themselves to the flock. That's 1 Peter 5, 1-3 and Hebrews 13, 7. 1 Peter 5, 3 says that the elders are not to lord over the flock and trust them, but to be examples. We read that. Elders are to protect the flock from false teachings. We see that all over the place in Scripture. That's their responsibility to guard doctrine. So here's another major responsibility of elders along with feeding the sheep. Elders are to pray for the sheep. They're to pray for the sheep. James 1, 13 through 15 says, If anyone among you is in trouble, anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Amen. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Raise your hand if you've been sick. Okay, just a couple of you. I know you're lying. Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah. It says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the reason why we're sick is because of sin. Okay? That is not an always situation. That is a sometimes situation. And when you get to someone, when you get around some mature spiritual people, they're being attentive to what's going on in your life. And as they, hey, I've got, a, I've got a, this thing that won't go away. What's going on? And they just start talking with you and start praying for you. Just, just trying to pick up some discernment about what's going on. You've had elders, not here, I'm just saying we've had elders abuse that. I've heard that where pastors go, it's because you, you, know, you, ha- you don't have enough faith or that's why you're sick. And it's like, no, it's called getting old and falling apart, you know. But I mean, so there's an abuse of it. There's always an abuse. But there's also an, a, an ability to discern what is going on in someone's life. And it might be that the Lord is trying to get a hold of someone and say, hey, wake up. And you have the elders around them, and as they, and it goes on to talk about confessing your faults to one another, that you may be healed and all that type of stuff. As the elders discern what's going on in your life, sometimes they can, they can, you can confess your sin and say, listen, this is what's going on. And, and, and they'll just go, okay, well, let, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. and Confess your sin to Him, let's pray. And then you pray. That happened, actually, to me. Someone was upset at me. That usually happens, but it was at a different church. And they had had pain in their finger. And it just would not go away, and they were a bass player. And they finally came up to me, and the elders had talked to him, but um, he said, you know what? I had unforgiveness in my heart towards you. And I was a clueless, as I usually am. And, um, you know, he said, will you forgive me? I'm like, sure. Forgive him. You know, will you forgive me? And, and right then, I mean, he just, he, the next day, he just said, It's gone. The Lord lifted it, you know, I, I, and I can't explain all this stuff, and I don't want to get mystical, but I, I do believe what he's talking about here is that, man, the elders have a place to pray for you, not just about your sickness, but as you read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, you just look at Paul's prayer over the church, that the word of God would stick, and that is really what the elders have been called to, is the word and prayer. The spiritual battle and the spiritual word. We want to cast the seed and we want to pray that it sticks and grows. Amen? We ask that God would give the increase. So we see so clearly in Scripture that the main calling of church leadership is to proclaim the word and then pray to God to make it take root. The word and prayer. And because this is so important for the elders to be doing, anything that would distract them from the ministry of the word and prayer, those things were delegated by the apostles. Not to say you can't go do those things or won't be a part of them, but that can't be the main thrust of your life is everything else. It has to be the word and prayer. That is what an elder does. And so you can imagine that the rest of the body needs to come around and starts to grab those other things that are necessary because you can't just sit in a lotus position all day and pretend like things are going to happen. Amen? I mean, we look at how, how the Zitterkoffs have, have just poured out their lives into restoring those bathrooms and countless others all over the place. I mean, praise the Lord. But that's not my calling, although I want it to be. And I struggle with that, getting involved with things, that, you know, 
being busy about other things. I need to be in the Word. I need to be praying. I need to be hanging out with you and meeting with you and, and all those types of things to getting the Word in your life. Amen? So what do you think one of the enemy's tactics would be in the life of an elder? Get them out of the Word and un, not praying and busy in ministry, by the way. Distracted. If he does that, guess what happens to your edification? See why this is so important. And so, there are some responsibilities given to the elders that the sheep, that, that, that are just to the elders. Those responsibilities, I just listed several. There's a lot more. But they are the elders to bear. Now, what are the qualifications for an elder? Can I just sign up to be an elder? And the answer is, you can try. <laughs> Amen? But the Scriptures lay out qualifications for an elder in a few places in the New Testament. Again, the, new, the major ones being 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. We're just going to hang out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now you can take your finger and go, oh, it's hurting. Now open up the Bible now. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We just have time to look at this, this, this part. In verse 1 through 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7, then we'll go back and through and unpack it. It says, here's a trustworthy saying, Paul speaking to Timothy, whoever aspires to be an elder, uh, to be an overseer, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that all his, all his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how in the world can he take care of God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into the disgrace and into the devil's trap. And basically, Titus chapter 1, uh, it, it, mimics, it, it mimics that, okay? We don't have time to go to Titus 1 today. But first qualification for an elder is that there has to be an aspiration. There has to be a desire to be an elder. There has to be an aspiration to be an elder. That aspiration has to be a result of God calling a man to that position. So there has to be a God-given desire to be an elder. And it's not about position and authority, it's about laying down your life or serving the body of Christ to a great degree. But desire isn't enough. You can desire to be, I want to be a basketball player in the NBA. I, I could want that all day long, and guess what? It's not going to happen because there's certain qualifications. You need to be like a thousand feet tall and athletic <laughs> to start right? <laughs> but desire isn't enough. They, they must have character, the character to qualify, and verses 2 through 7 explain that. They lay out those qualifications, and I'm just going to go back through them real quickly, not into great depth, just a quick overview. So verse 2 says, now an overseer is to be above reproach. Some of your translations say blameless. How many of you say blameless? Yeah, totally. New King James and ASB, all that stuff. This is obvious. This obviously does not mean sinless perfection, right? But let's not lower the bar. 
It means consistently displaying mature Christian conduct. That's what it means. Their lives match their doctrine. It isn't hovering around reproach. It is above reproach. Almost reproachable. Is that what it's saying? Shady. Hmm. I guess we'll do it. Above reproach. Another qualification is an elder must be faithful to his wife. Literally, literally this means a one-woman man. This means not a polygamist, not cheating on his wife, not separated from his wife, but faithful, one with his wife. This does not mean that an elder cannot be single. Jesus was the chief elder, and by the way, he was single. It means that if an elder is married, they must be faithfully devoted to their wife. And notice, by the way, that Paul is assuming that an elder is what? It's a man. And he, has, he does the same thing in Titus and every other place in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The role of an elder and a pastor within the church is assigned to men, but not just to any men. There must be called qualified men who are above reproach and faithful to their wives. And also it says that an overseer must be temperate. This literally means wineless or sober. In other words, they cannot be a drunk or given over to things that would take over their mental faculties. This is because shepherds need to be perceptive. They need to be aware of what's going on. They need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, in tune with your life. And let me tell you, people who are not in tune with reality are not going to be in tune with your life and, how, and what's going on spiritually. There has to be a sobriety about them. In other words, they are to be those who are on overwatch. Heightened discernment, not the other way around. They, almost, they also must be self-controlled. Some of your translations say prudent. In other words, they have to have a well-ordered mind. A well-ordered mind. That's what that's speaking. Literally, a sound mind is what it means. Sane, in one's senses. This means that there's a proper order in their thinking. I struggle with this. You know, I've got fibromyalgia, i got fibrofog. You ever guys know what fibrofog is? I, I was just reading this the other day, and it's so funny. I have so much fibrofog that I forgot that I had fibrofog. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, why are you spacing out? I'm like, elevator's not going to the top. But the idea is that they can govern themselves. They're not out of order in their thinking. Having a well-ordered mind, being self-controlled, leads to an elder who is respectable. And that's the next thing. An elder must be what? Respectable. This means not only their minds are, what, their minds are well-ordered, but so is their life. A well-ordered mind leads to a well-ordered life. They are respectable because of how they live. Also, hospitable. Hospitable is uh, a word in the Greek which means a love for strangers. A love for strangers, a friend of strangers. The idea is that they are inviting and open to people they know and don't know. They have a love for the stranger. They aren't closed off to them, just as Christ is with us and has been with us. Amen? We were a stranger and far away, but he came in, he grabbed us, and he pulled us into his family and his kingdom. The gospel is an invitation into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God is the definition of hospitable. Amen? 
His servants in his house are called to be the same. In another one, elders also must be able to what? Teach. The phrase in Greek means skillful in teaching. Not necessarily pronouncing words, but skillful in teaching. This is not talking about a skillful guitar instructor or a math teacher in it translating into the church. You can be a teacher in other things and not be a skillful teacher in the things of the Lord. This has nothing to do with vocation. You, have to, you can be a great teacher in those things and not be able to teach God's people. Does that make sense? So this, is, this teaching is a spiritual gift of communicating the Word of God. And that means, first of all, living it out as well as conveying the teachings of Christ. And this is not necessarily, again, a dynamic public speaking gift. But an elder must be able to disciple people. You've got to be able to disciple people. You've got to be able to communicate the Word of God into people's lives and model it so that other people get it and they actually love and obey Jesus. In verse 3, it says that an elder must not be given to drunkenness. And this means that they're not a drinker. And it really has to do with association as you look at the word. They're not to be associated with drinking alcohol like, oh, they're a drinker. They're known for being a drinker, that kind of thing. Uh, a person could, couldn't say, oh, that elder, elder so-and-so, yeah, they're a drinker. No, they aren't frequenting wineries. They're not frequenting bars. They're not, um, they're not going to the pot shop, all that kind of stuff. That's not the habit. That's not their life. That's not what they're associated with. They are not associated with those things. That is not what they're known for. They're known for holiness. They're known for the Lord. They're known for the Word. Yes, Jesus hung out with sinners, but He wasn't hanging out at bars. He wasn't going to the pot shop and getting high with the guys. You know what I mean? He was dragging them out. There was a holiness about His life. He was calling them out of darkness. And being consumed with those things is a counterfeit for being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians. And so also verse 3, it says that an elder must not be violent but gentle. An elder can't be a man who resorts to violence. Well, they don't agree. Let's go beat him up or shoot him. I mean, this is, again, I, we might go on, well, obviously, but these guys are Middle Eastern. They handle things differently. If you haven't seen the news, sometimes they can get tribal about stuff. You know, and different cultures have different values, and so it was important to lay out, let's not, the men cannot be violent. That's not what Jesus did. What did he do when he was reviled? What did he do when he was attacked? What did he do when things didn't go right? That's our example, and that's the same thing. Not violent. There's rather be gentle. Also, an, er an elder cannot be quarrelsome. Have you ever met anybody that's quarrelsome? If not... Um, you might, never mind. <laughs> Just kidding. You might be that person. But really, this speaks more to the attitude of one who abstains from arguing all the time and being antagonistic, right? In a plurality of leadership, it's incredibly difficult if you have someone constantly antagonizing and, and just I, and some people are laughing, but it's true. Anybody else had that? They're just, gosh, you're trying to be productive, but you're really just bugging the heck out of all of us. That is just not to be the, the, the defining attribute of an elder. They're not to be contentious. They're to talk things through, pray through things. If you disagree with it, disagree with it biblically. Yeah, stand on truth. 
This isn't someone who's a pushover, but how you deal with things is important. So not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. It isn't their pursuit. Hebrews 15.5 has the same Greek word and describes it like this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I sake you. Those who pursue money pursue idolatry. It's going away. Seek first the kingdom. That's a kingdom principle. And if an elder doesn't have that down, I don't know what to tell you. They have to seek first the kingdom. It's okay if they have money and are rich and stuff. That just can't be their pursuit. Amen? You can't love God and money. One's going to end up ruling, and that's the point. Next, verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And so one way that you tell if a man is fit to begin overseeing a church is look at the government of his own home. Look at his relationships. Does he govern his own family well? Do his children obey him? Now, I don't know about you, but children naturally are disobedient. Do you know that? So are sheep. That is exactly what Jesus said. What did he say? Go into all the world make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. The whole New Testament is about teaching us to follow Jesus. Why? Because we're disobedient by nature. Amen? And if you can't teach your own kids, what makes you think you're going to teach the church? So I have a rule with John and Ruth. They're good here, but they can do whatever they want at home. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> No, that's not what it is. A father is commanded by God to bring up their children in the training and the instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. They're commanded by the Lord. And, they, and, and, and do they do this? And are their children compelled to obey him? If they are disobedient, it falls on him, his leadership, because he has not instructed and discipled them. So if there is a breakdown in his own house concerning his children, how can they then be qualified to teach others to obey the commandments of Christ if their own children don't even heed their own words? See how heavy the calling is? How many of you go, man, I'm not an elder. Parenting is hard. It says there in verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the church of God? That's the point. But not only that they obey, he must do so in a manner of what? Full respect. So it's not just about laying down the law and authority, is it? It's about winning the heart. That takes what? Wisdom. It takes wisdom. Leading in such a way to where your children are compelled to obey. And let me say that when... And the way you get your children to obey, just in case we haven't done this, is any time that they, they are um, they're disobedient, there has to be consequences. You have to bring pain into their life. Which also brings pain into your life, doesn't it? And that is why parents don't want to discipline their kids. You've got to get over yourself. 
Discipline your kids. Bring pain into their life. I am not talking about abuse. That's not what I'm talking about. It just don't let it stand. Start on day one. Some guy in the supermarket said, hey, you have any advice about it? I just had a kid. I'm like, love them and discipline them. It will pay off later. Not a hard, heavy hand, but someone who draws the line. I mean, Christina and I, it's, it's 16 years of war to eat vegetables. <laughs> it's happening every night. It's just happening. Amen? Christine, amen? She's like, mm. But they do it. They just, they're constantly pressing us. They're, they're looking for it. But we're not going to give in. Do we love them totally? Absolutely. Is there, is there joy and fun and goofing off and all that stuff? Absolutely. Do we, do we, do, are we heavy-handed in, 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 in all aspects? No, but blatant sin gets dealt with. Temper tantrums get dealt with. Those things do not fly. And let me tell you, it's hard, but if you, if you cater to that, you're going to have kids. They're going to be out of control. And when they stand before a cop, do you think they're going to listen to them? Why not? Because they didn't listen to you. Amen? Amen. That's where we're going in our society. Because people, especially parents, are overwhelmed and they're becoming self-absorbed. That's the way the society's going. And I know there's a lot going on in single parents and all that stuff, but the Lord has remedies for these things, and it's always the hard, narrow road. But let me tell you, there is fruit that comes from doing it God's way. There'll be righteousness in time, and you will bless those kids with a life that is blessed. And by the way, you've got to make sure you understand, I am not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about that at all. That is wicked and it's from hell. But so is not disciplining your kids. So, anyways, that's my little diatribe there. <laughs> Must do so in a matter of full respect. And let me tell you, love is a powerful motivator for obedience. Love is a very powerful motivator for obedience. In other words, the fellowship is so sweet that they don't want to break it. They don't want to know what it's like to experience life separated from mom and dad, right? They don't want to displease you, not because of fear or anger, but because of love. That's where we want to go, and that takes wisdom to get there, and I'm still working on it. But I know that there's a, there's a bond between me and my children. We, I love them, and they love me. And they know when they cross me that they're like, eh, Let's make it right. There's a quickness in their heart to respond. And so, how a man governs his house is an indicator of how that man will govern and oversee the church. Make sense? Verse 6, in addition to all these things, he may not, not be a recent convert. That seems like common sense there. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Paul will get into this with deacons, but an overseer, they have to be seasoned. You can't teach what you don't know. You don't take someone in, in math and say, hey, let's go teach quantum calculus or whatever you guys do. Somehow, it's someone new in the Lord just hasn't developed their spiritual discernment yet to navigate these temptations. Now, real quickly, Hebrews 5.14. It says, 
And I'm just taking this out of context, but it says, but solid food is for the mature who by what? Constant what? Use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What does that mean? It means that the way that a person matures is you keep eating food, right? The way that you mature in the Lord is you keep taking in spiritual food. And as the Word of God is being gnawed on in your life, it's going on in your mind, it's being applied to your body, it's assimilating. As you do it over and over and over and over and over, guess what you gain? Discernment. You begin to see good and evil. You, be, you begin to understand right and wrong. You, you can see the nuances of evil and how the Lord would seek a person to be to go in those directions. And again, the temptation as a pastor and an elder is to lead the church according to your own great ideas and, and, and power, and my, my power, and my ability, and, my, and this is what I'm going to do, and God, just bless it. Instead of by God's word and God's standard and what he says, which is kind of often countercultural. And a mature Christian recognizes those tendencies and a mature elder crucifies them. This is not my will, but your will be done. And the devil exalted himself, and he fell under the condemnation and the judgment of God. He did not crucify the flesh. He did not deny self. He raised himself up. He exalted himself. See, that is not the definition of elder. Elder is someone who is a servant leader. They humble themselves. And elders, not to be a new believer. Verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And this is basically where we end. This means a man chosen to be an elder, a man chosen to be a pastor in the church must have a reputation for righteousness, for moral character, for love and kindness and generosity and goodness among everybody in the community that knows him. That's the standard. So an elder should have a good reputation in the community. Now, obviously, this does not mean that everybody's going to agree with you theologically or they might insult you or drag you through the mud. That's to be expected. We know that, okay? Someone's going to talk about you maliciously because you're a, a witness of Jesus Christ and you, con you confront sin in the society and all those things. But do they represent Christ at their work or coaching or in the business transactions that they have in all these various ways? Or is it like, mm, that, guy's a, that guy's trying to, he cuts corners, there's no integrity, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Elders are to live in such a way that their godly character is verified by the community rather than proven to be false by them and therefore falling into disgrace, dragging the name of Jesus through the mud in front of other, other believers, which is the devil's trap. And so as we have looked at these qualifications of an elder and responsibilities. If you think about it, aren't they simply what the Lord would desire of each of you? To be above reproach, to be faithful to our spouses, to be temperate, to be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, gentle, able to teach our kids and others about the Lord, to have a good reputation for Christ in the community. Isn't this what the Lord wants for each of us? Do you see it? And that's the point of these qualifications. That's the point of eldership. It's not going to be caught or taught by the church if it's not first being modeled among the elders. And so the elders need you to pray for us. Amen? Many of you do. Thank you. But would you commit to praying for us? Will you see our shortcomings? Will you pray for us? Talk to us about it. Pray. Don't beat us up about it. 
got enough of that, but just pray. Amen? It's a high calling, and, and we have by no means aspired to these perfectly. I want you to know that. Nevertheless, the Lord has set the standard, and we're not lowering the bar because if we lower the bar, you're the ones who lose out. Amen? And so we go with what the Scriptures say so that as shepherds, as we shepherd the flock here, you would grow up and mature into the men and women who would glorify God. That's our desire. And we would ask that you would pray also that the Lord would raise up that next generation of men who would aspire to leadership within this flock. This is my heart, my prayer as well. Pray that the Lord would develop these characteristics in these men of the church, that, they're, that they would be men of the word and men of prayer, not men of the world, that we would be an incredible witness for the Lord, that we would see the Lord working in them and blessing, they would be a blessing to their wives and to their families and in this church, and that these godly men would be a great witness for Jesus Christ as they interact with the unbelievers everywhere and in the community. Pray that through them, many, many, many would come to Christ and be raised up to declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his wonderful light. So pray for us and pray for the men in this church that God would move in a profound way in our days. Men, you have an opportunity to come and pray tonight. Come out and pray. Sing praises to the Lord. Worship him. Be a man of the word. Deny self. Pick up your cross and follow him. that the name of the Lord Jesus would be exalted among the nations. Amen? Amen. So I just wanted to lay down um, just a basic teaching on eldership. I know that it doesn't apply kind of directly to many of us, but nevertheless, we're all connected. And this is how the Lord Jesus set up eldership. So we need your prayers. And we're praying for you, by the way. Come after church and let us pray for you. Call us to come pray for you. Let us anoint you with oil. You know, I would, there's nothing in the oil. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this flock. I want to thank you for um, all that you've done to shepherd this flock over the years. Lord, I was reading the history of the church all the way from back in 1870, Lord, all the way till now. You've been faithful, Lord, to raise up godly men through all seasons. And Lord, I want to thank you also for the godly women you've raised up and just the amazing work that you've done in this church as you've raised up leaders. And we ask now, Lord, that you would raise the bar in the hearts of the elders, God, that you would strengthen us for the work in the season to come. I pray that there, if there are elders in the wings in this church, Lord, that you would raise them up. You would put a conviction in their heart. Lord God, I want to thank you for Christ Community Fellowship. I want to thank you for the privilege of being here, Lord. May you be exalted. May we, as elders, lay down our lives, Lord, so that others might live. God, I just, I just want to thank you. Thank you again today for this beautiful, beautiful 
bride, Lord, that you've prepared for yourself. Bless her as she goes. In the name of Jesus, amen.